Welcome to On Mission, the teaching ministry of the Mission Church in Irvindale. We exist to love God by loving others, leading them to become fully functioning followers of Christ Jesus. Join Pastor Mike as he teaches through the Gospel of Luke. Jesus staked everything. He didn't use any tricks. He didn't use any gimmicks. He didn't try to tickle people's ears. He, he wasn't trying to be ugly or offensive in any, any way, but, but he would always bring the word of God as it was to the people so that they could understand and receive it. And he always depended on the written word of God. For example, how did Jesus overcome the temptation in the wilderness with Satan? It is written, right? And what was the basis of his message back in Nazareth a few weeks earlier? Well, it was Isaiah 61. And then later on, as he goes on to that hillside and he he teaches his famous sermon known as the Sermon on the Mount, it wasn't based on rabbinical teaching. It was not based on any new doctrine that Jesus was inventing himself, but instead it was founded on the written word of God. 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 15 exhorts us, Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. Many of us in this building are very familiar with that passage because we either went through Awana or our kids and our grandkids have gone through Awana, and so that's their their baseline verse, and so we're very familiar with that. Guess what, though? There's something more to be said beyond that that applies to what we're talking about here. After saying that, Paul writes this in verse 16, but avoid irreverent babble, for that will lead people into more and more ungodliness and their talk will spread like gangrene. Hmm. Irreverent babble. Honestly, friends, I think that's what people are hearing in a lot of churches today. I think irreverent babble is what we're hearing predominantly when we turn to Christian television, so-called, and listen to many of those who are teaching and preaching there. Because they create their own doctrines for their own purposes. They're not rightly handling the word of truth. Instead, they are giving themselves to gentler, more modern ways. They are looking more to tickle people's ears than to see their lives changed. I would say this to us. May God bind the mission church to the word of God. Amen? May we never find ourselves compromising it. May we always be diligent to study and bring it out as it really is because only through the Word of God and the Spirit of God who works through the Word of God do we find lives really being impacted and changed. So Jesus is there in the synagogue and he's teaching the Word. He's teaching it with power and authority when suddenly, right in the middle of his message, a man on the fourth row shrieked out with a loud voice. I don't know if he was on the fourth row or not. They may not have even had rows there in the synagogue. I think they might have been accustomed to sitting on the floor. But but all of a sudden, this man who is there shrieks out with a loud voice. I know I've shared this with you before, but for those who are new and haven't heard it, I'll share it again, that I once shrieked out in the middle of a church service. I did. I'm not lying. It's the truth. Uh, Connie and I were newly married. 
and we were attending my mom and dad's church, and I wasn't too terribly interested in what the pastor had to say, and so I thought, well, I'll just take myself a nap. And I fell asleep in the pew, and I started having a dream. And I dreamed that I was working on an electrical socket in a wall. I had a screwdriver in my hand, and I was trying to do something, and my hand slipped off the screwdriver and hit a live wire. And when that happened, my fingers started throbbing. I woke up, and I went, ow! And Connie, you know, what the world? You know, she's punching me with her elbow. And I'm just, I look around, I'm holding my hand, and say, man, it hurts! <laughs> well, let me tell you, this man wasn't sleeping. He wasn't dreaming. He was actually possessed by a demon spirit. I wonder if that assaults or insults your modern understanding of the world. Do we still believe in demonic spirits? Do we still believe in angelic spirits? Can I tell you that right here in this room, right now, if God were to remove the scales a physicality from your eyes and you could see the spirit realm, there would be angels in here and no doubt there would be demons in here. They are real. And I believe they are real. And God's word proclaims that they are real. And here we see Jesus coming face to face with a man who has a demon spirit inside of him. And it seems that Jesus' power and authority were being expressed so strongly that basically the demon just couldn't, couldn't take it any longer. He just couldn't take being in the presence of one such as Jesus and hearing the things that Jesus was saying. And he just, you know, he just finally shrieked out in painful defiance. And that's what he's doing. In one sense, he's defying. He's trying to defy the Son of God. Now, the ESV uses ha, H-A, as the opening comment. But, but really, if you go to the original language and you look at the Greek, a more literal translation of what most uh, uh, versions of the Bible use are, are words like these, leave us alone. That's what he shrieked out. Leave us alone. Leave us alone. What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? A little bit more accurate understanding of that is, what do we have in common? And when you hear that, it's clear of the Pharisees didn't bother him too terribly much. The demon wasn't concerned about what they had to say, quoting this guy and that guy and another. But now Jesus shows up and he's, he's bringing forth the revelation of God with power and authority. And this just unseats this spirit and he just can't take it. And he says, leave us alone. Jesus, the Son of God, who brought the Word of God, clearly energized by the Holy Spirit, was bothering this spirit, and he could no longer take it. And he decided, it would seem, to throw down on Jesus. Okay? Look at verse 34. He says, have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Now, what I'm about to tell you is quite fascinating, and it sheds some light on what's really happening in this scene. One commentator that I utilize in my study suggested 
that when the demon said, I know who you are, the Holy One of God, he wasn't saying that to identify who Jesus was per se. He was attempting to bring Jesus under his power. It seems as though in that day, and it still exists today in some circles, there is a belief that if one can know the true name, which identifies the true nature of an individual or a thing, then they can gain mastery and power over that person or thing. I read that and I'm like, oh, come on, that's ridiculous. There's no way I'm going to go up on Sunday morning and talk about that. Yet here I am. Why? Because I went and did some research and I found out it actually exists. It's called the law of names. And even though it is steeped in folklore, and I'm not telling you it's real or true, uh, it nonetheless says to people that if you can discover the true name, not Mike Rose, but the true name. I don't know what my true name is that that represents who I really am. Maybe God knows. I don't know. Maybe I don't even have one. But the teaching was if you could do that, then you could use that name and it would give you access, mastery, control over them. And perhaps this then explains the demon's statement. I know who you are. In other words, I know your true name, the Holy One of God. Now, this becomes even more relevant as we unpack this next little part. Catch this. Holy One of God is translated from two Greek words, hagios, which means holy, and theos, which means God. So when this demon says what he says, what he is saying is, I know who you are. You are holy God. Whoa! And he wasn't wrong. Because Jesus, in fact, inside of that flesh, was God of very God. The second person of the Godhead Trinity. We ask, was that demon really foolish enough to believe that this folklore would would, uh, allow him to somehow stand against the Son of God? That if he knew Jesus' true identity, he could have control over him? I don't know. But whatever this demon believed, this was his attempt to come against Jesus. I said attempt. This was his attempt to try to stand toe-to-toe with Jesus. But we see very, very clearly that he didn't prevail. Because folklore magic has no sway over God. Not even when God is clothed in human flesh. And so Jesus rises up to face the confrontation. Notice what he does. Very simple, very clear. He rebukes him with two commands. The first one, be silent. Shut your mouth. Literally, it means to be muzzled. And as I sat and thought about that, I thought of a muzzle that gets put on a dog, and I thought of that muzzle just kind of being thrown out there, and it kind of wraps around, just slaps his mouth shut. I don't, I don't know if that's the way it happened or not, but, but he's, he said the word, and, 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 he, and he shuts up. He doesn't declare anything else. And then he says, come out. And what could this demon do at this point? than to make his exit as dramatic as he possibly could. And so we find the man being thrown to the ground. He probably shrieks and cries a couple of times, but then the demon comes out. Truth point number two. Jesus exposed the futility 
of any being taking a stand against God. The power of God's spoken word creates galaxies, and it silences and expels demon spirits. So I just want to say to you that as we spent a few minutes ago singing those praise songs, and hopefully as you sang them, you were singing unto the Lord, that that person you were singing unto, the spoken word, his spoken word, has the power to create galaxies from nothing, but also has the power to disarm and completely destroy any spirit that comes against him. Later on, when Jesus actually went to the cross and then rose from the dead, the promise that was given to Eve was fulfilled. The seed of the woman crushed the serpent's head. I want you to see this in the Apostle Paul's writing, Colossians chapter 2, verses 13 through 15, where Paul says, And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, that is, with Jesus, having forgiven us all our trespasses. How? By canceling the record of the debt that stood against us with its legal demands. How did he do that? This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. This is On Mission. The Mission Church is located at 12001 Ridgemont Drive in Urbandale. To learn more about our ministry, visit our website at themissiondsm.org or call us at 515-255-2122. We gather for worship each Sunday at 10 a.m. We would be honored for you to join us. Have a blessed day, and thank you for listening to On Mission.